preach to you this morning a message the Lord has simply laid on my heart. If you'll stand with me all over the room. Not really in a series, but God is speaking to us on the theme of prayer. And I want to read three verses of Scripture in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 18 through 20. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. This is Jesus speaking, and Jesus himself said, Assuredly, in other words, confidently, without a doubt, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I want to preach to you for a few moments today a message I've simply titled, Let Us Pray. If you will, pray with me and for me one more time. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for speaking in the first service today, but Lord, we need you again in this place right now. I need you, Lord, to anoint the ears of your people to hear your word, anoint the hearts of your people to receive your word. God, I'm asking you to remove all the distractions that may come against us today, those things that direct our focus elsewhere, but God, for the next few moments, I'm asking you, Lord, to direct our focus to you and to what you're speaking to us, Lord, not only as a church corporately, but Lord, to us as believers individually. God, speak to us today by your word, and we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Louis Giglio said this, if only we knew what was happening when we pray, we would never cease to pray. If only we knew what was happening, what was taking place when we pray, we would never cease to pray. Yet, most of the time, God's people, if we'll be honest, allow the enemy to keep us distracted from spending dedicated time in prayer. We allow other things to distract us and deter us from spending time with the Lord in prayer. And when that happens, uh, the enemy keeps us distracted from the benefits of that time of prayer as well. Now, way back in the very beginning of time, in in the first book of the Bible, when Satan came down into the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, Satan came with a, a livid hatred for God that manifested. He hated God. And that hatred for God manifested every single time that he tried to destroy something that was closest to the heart of the Lord. You know what that was? Mankind. We are the closest thing to the heart of the Lord. The Word tells us we were created in his very image. And the devil ended up back in the very beginning of time sowing a thought into the human race that would bring man to his own destruction. And that thought was the idea that we don't really need God. And that we can all become as God in ourselves. Boy, if that is not a perfect picture of what is going on in the world today, I don't know what is. We're living in a society that thinks we no longer really need God. And as a matter of fact, we can all become little gods in ourselves. But yet after Satan had tempted Adam and Eve, God spoke to Satan. 
Now, for those of you out there that say, uh, God does not hold people accountable. Uh, God would not, because you know, to, in, in today's time, we're living in a society, particularly in the church world, that says, uh, our society in the church world today says, nobody can hold me accountable. I can't be held, boy, y'all are quiet today. You're either guilty or, or get behind the preacher. That way I won't think you're guilty. Everybody thinks that nobody can hold them accountable. Nobody is in authority to hold somebody else accountable. A preacher can't call out sin because sin is subjective anymore. We all get to decide what's sin for us, right? We all get to decide, you do you and I'll do me, preacher. And you decide what's right for you and I'll decide what's right for me. I'll decide what's sin in my life and you decide what's sin in your life. And we find ourselves living in a church world today that there is no definition of sin because we've all become as our own little gods and we're all thinking we don't need God and we don't need God to define what sin is. We'll be little gods and we'll define them for ourselves. But can I tell you, can I tell you, what God has already defined in His Word can never be redefined by man. So in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we find the Lord holding that enemy accountable. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. What is that? That's accountability. Hmm. I could preach a whole message on there are consequences to your actions. That's another thing we live in a society about today. We think there should be no consequences to our actions. But the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, Satan, and her seed, capital S, because we know who that seed was. And he shall, he being her seed, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is the first time in the Bible that we see the redemptive plan of God. Obviously, God was not caught by surprise in the Garden of Eden. God knew, think about this, this is good for us to know this morning. God knew from the very beginning of time that humankind would be created in His image. But He also knew that we would subsequently fail because we all will fail. And then because of that failure and that fall, we would be in need of a Redeemer. We, will need, we would have a need to be redeemed. And so God was essentially telling Satan in this passage of Scripture, lest you exalt yourself, I have a plan. Look at somebody this morning and say, God has a plan. He says, you to the devil are going to live to conquer and devour those created in my image all the days of your life. I will put an act of opposition between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And from the seed of woman, I'm going to raise up the one. We all know who that is, who will actively oppose you and ultimately defeat you. We know that that seed from woman was Jesus Christ. In the original Hebrew, it says, you shall bruise his heel. In other words, he'll be on a journey and the serpent will strike his heel when he's on that journey. Now think about this. Anybody in the room this morning loves snakes? Anybody glad we don't handle them here? Anybody glad you got a preacher that'll make sure we never handle them here? But if you're on a journey, just picture this. You're walking down a path 
you're making your way somewhere and a big old snake strikes your heel, what's that going to do? It's going to hurt. But it's going to stop you on your journey, right? It's going to hinder your journey. It's going to hinder your walk. You may be somewhere on your way with the Lord, but can I tell you, it's the devil's job to strike at your heels. He's going to be striking at your heels all the days of your life. He said, in other words, he'll be on a journey, but as a serpent, he will strike your heel and stop your journey. But you will cause him pain and even death, and he will turn to uh, the serpent. You will cause him pain and possibly even death, but he, the seed of Jesus, the seed of, of woman, Jesus Christ, and the seed of Jesus Christ, the church, will in turn bruise your head, Satan. Can I tell you today that God is looking for a church that that will stomp on the head of the devil. God's not looking for a church that wants to play patty cake with the devil. God's not looking for a church that wants to be friendly with the devil. God's not looking for a church that wants to entertain the devil. But God's looking for a church that says, You might strike at my heels, but I'm going to stomp your head. And as we know the story goes, Jesus was raised from the dead. He would tread forever upon the devil's imagination that humankind is fully within his grasp. That he has the right to captivate those who have been created in the image of God, not just for time but for all eternity. That's what the devil thinks. He has the right to captivate those who were created in the image of God. Now not only would he, being Jesus, bruise the devil's head, We know through the testimony of Scripture that Jesus Christ would have a seed. Do you know who that seed is? That seed is a people born into the kingdom of God who have access to the throne of God by prayer. Somebody say prayer. And that seed of Jesus Christ, us, the church, the believers, would have the power to push back the devil's thought that he could possess this earth, that he could alter its direction, or that he could have its future. We are those people. Do you even realize this morning the power that God has placed within our hands as believers in Jesus Christ? Folks, we are not supposed to be, the church is not supposed to merely be bystanders who stand by and watch the devil destroy a whole generation. Because that's what he's doing right now. He's destroying a whole generation. God has a plan, and part of that plan is our approaching His throne and petitioning Him to move on behalf of those that that have nobody else to call out for them. Can I tell you what we need in the church world today is a spiritual awakening. We need to be woke up. Scripture gives us many examples of the incredible things that happen when God's people pray. For one example, in the book of 2 Kings, we read here that the king of Syria uh, surrounded the city where the people of God were. There was such a vast army around the city that Elisha's servant looked over to the wall. He looked over the wall of the city, over top of the wall, the protective wall. He looked down over the wall and he said, My Lord, what are we going to do? They are more mightier than us. Isn't that the way the church feels a lot of times? What are we going to do? 
They are more mightier than us. But I want you to see, follow with me and see what happened in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 14 through 17. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid. Elisha, the prophet, answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Now, watch this next verse. And Elisha did what? No. Some of y'all can't read. And Elisha prayed. Now, when he prayed, he did say, open it. Now, listen, Elisha did not pray. Why is it we think sometimes that we got to do some kind of big, fancy, elaborate prayer? Or we got to do something that sounds like it's super spiritual. How many knows what I'm talking about? But Elisha didn't do that. We read here, and Elisha prayed. Here's how simple his prayer was. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. That's pretty simple. But watch the next line. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. Elisha prayed and said, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, in other words, oh God, that you would give vision. Listen to me, church. That you would give vision back to your people to understand once again that it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's only by your spirit, says the Lord. God, would you help your people once again to see you in absolute victory. God, we look, we're looking around and we're thinking that we're all defeated. And we're thinking that the, the, those of them outnumber those of us. But God, would you help your people to see that you are Jehovah Nisi. You are our banner of victory. God, would you help your people to see that there's more of us than there are of them. And God, would you help your people to see that when, you, when we call upon you, you'll answer us. And the, and the word said, Lord, open the eyes of the young man so that he'll see. And the word said that he saw. And he looked around and he saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Now look at verse 18. As the enemy came down toward him, here we are again. What did Elisha do? Y'all got it that time. Elisha prayed to the Lord. Now here's what he prayed again. Not a formal prayer. Look what he said. Strike this army with blindness. Now look at the next line. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Can I just stop right there and say, I want a relationship with God like Elisha. Is there anybody else in here that wants that? When he prayed and talked to God, God did what he asked. In other words, here's what he's saying here in this passage of Scripture, if you'll leave that one on the screen. Here's what he's saying. In other words, he's saying, God, would you confuse the enemy? Would you take away their vision?" Because can I tell you, when the people of God get the vision of God back, it hinders the vision of the powers of darkness. God, would you take away their unity? Because when the church, and it's a problem today, when the church comes together in true unity, it will cause disunity among the powers of darkness. God, would you take away their strength? Because when the church comes together in the power and the might and the strength of the Holy Ghost, the adversary and all of his imps and demons become weaker and weaker and weaker. And that's what, that's what he's saying in this prayer. Don't let them accomplish their purpose. I want to tell you this morning, folks, we too can pray that for our generation. We can pray the same thing for our generation. God, do not let the enemies of righteousness advance any farther. Don't let their agenda 
drift, uh, let their agenda drift away from them. Don't let their agenda come forth. We can pray that, but we have to pray it. We can't fight it in our might. We can't fight it in our power. But it's only in God's spirit. And we only get in God's spirit by prayer. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha asked. Now listen, I, I found it interesting when I read the commentary that this did not mean that they actually could not naturally see. It just meant that they were not seeing what they had saw before. Think about that. The enemy was not seeing what they saw before. Verses 19 and 20. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Look at this. Here we go again. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked. And there they were inside Samaria. Not only, listen to me, were God's people affected by prayer. Pastor, why are you so passionate right now about prayer? Not only were God's people affected by prayer, the enemy was also brought into an awareness of God's power because the people of God pray. Did you hear me? Not only were God's people affected by prayer, but the enemy was brought to an awareness of God's power because the people of God pray. Now, what is that awareness they were brought into? It's actually called something that we don't talk about much anymore. It's a conscience. How many knows what a conscience is? The dictionary defines conscience as an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or the wrongness of one's behavior. Can I tell you that's what we need to pray for in our generation? We need to pray for a spiritual awakening. We need to pray for a conscience, a sudden awareness of sin that can come into the heart of any society, into the heart of any place, of any person, when somebody begins to think, why am I suddenly thinking about God? Why is it suddenly occurring to me that what I am doing is wrong? Can I tell you this morning, we live in a place in the church today where we've kind of got it backwards. When people are living in sin and they won't straighten up and fly right, as the old saying goes. Anybody used to say that? Straighten up and fly. That's what my mama said. Straighten up and fly right. When we won't straighten up and fly right or when somebody won't, then in the church world, it's a shame to say, but a lot of times we just want to dismiss those people. We get frustrated with them. We want to write them off and they won't change, so just, just forget about them. No, you know what we're supposed to do? I'll tell you what we're not supposed to do. We're not supposed to talk about them. We're not supposed to run them down. We're not supposed to uh, condemn them. What we're supposed to do is get in our prayer closet and say, God, open their eyes that they may see and then when God begins to deal with an individual that's when we'll have a spiritual awakening is when the people of God pray until people's eyes are opened and they begin to see whoa wait a minute I might have been living in in, uh, in this situation for a long time but I shouldn't be with this man or woman I'm not married to them why am I feeling like this is wrong all of a sudden oh I shouldn't take that that don't belong to me I shouldn't go here because it doesn't look like Jesus I shouldn't Taking that because it doesn't look like something Jesus would do. When God's people pray, open their eyes. God will open the eyes and allow them to see. We're not praying for harm to come to any person. Did you hear me? Now I'm going to throw this out there. I did it at 845 and I'm going to do it again at 11. You do not have to agree, nor should you agree with the platform and the agenda of all 
political leaders, as Christians. But, and I don't see anybody that's guilty of this, but I've seen a lot of it. So if you're guilty of this and I don't know it, I'm not talking about you. If you're watching online, I don't even know you're there. But I have seen God's people say on social media that they would like to see a particular leader, whether it's state or national level, assassinated or taken out. Folks, God help us. That's not what we should do as Christians. Would it not be, how much more beneficial would it be? Think about it. I know they've got some evil agendas. I know they do. I bounce around this all the time. I'm just going to say this and I'll leave it there. When you can become so dogmatic, and I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. I took the vaccine. You do what? you feel like you need to do for you, and we don't have a problem here, okay? And that's the way it should be for everybody in the church. Can I hear a big, hearty amen? That's the way it should be for everybody in the church. Let each person work out their own COVID salvation in fear and trembling. Trust the Lord. Do what the Lord, what I believe you know how to hear from God. Do what God tells you to do. God might tell you to do something different than what he tells me to do. But I'm just going to say this and leave it here. When we have leaders in this country who get so dogmatic that they say to people who don't have the vaccine or won't take the vaccine, you are the problem. No, they're not the problem. Let me tell you what the problem is. Sin is the problem. We would, God would not allow us to be subjected to this mess if sin wasn't the problem. COVID did not take God by surprise. He's allowed it to happen, and he's trying to get the people of God to wake up from their spiritual slumber and get down to business with God. But when we can get so dogmatic that we say they're the problem and we treat them that way, and and it's all in the name, right? It's all in the name of lives because we want to save lives, right? But we can act that way over that, and we don't bat an eye. And multiplied millions of babies that are murdered year after year. Oh, somebody just got mad right there. And then we have the audacity. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm going to say it. We have the audacity to make statements after we say we're doing all this in the name of saving lives. But yet we can see what's going on in Afghanistan. And that people are being hunted down and killed and murdered in front of their children because of their faith. And then we have the audacity to say we did the right thing. We made the right decision. God help us. That is evil. That is a lie from the pits of hell. You don't have to follow it. But what we should do is pray, not that God will take them out, Lord have mercy, but how much more effective would it be? Think about this if you haven't entertained this thought. How much more effective would it be if one of them stood up and said, I used to think this. 
but God opened my eyes. Woo! Can you imagine? Can you imagine how much more effective if some of them said, listen, if some of them said, God said, I'm telling you, this nation would turn upside down. But they're not going to be dealt with by God until the people of God pray just like the prophet of God prayed and say, God, open their eyes. God, remove the blinders. Let them see. So we're not praying for harm to come to any person. We're praying for God to open their eyes. When is the last time as a church that we prayed that way? When is the last time you, you as an individual prayed that way over a situation? Elisha did exactly that. He prayed for them. Then he fed them and he sent them home. And you know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us they came no more into that part of Israel. Can I tell you when God sends the enemy away, he won't come back. Somebody say amen. They didn't come back because those people had a moment of conscience. Their eyes was open and they could see what it was. Now, when we pray, we also have power to free those who've been captivated by the deceptive, by the deceptiveness and powerlessness of religion. Let me say this. One of the things that the devil will do to captivate a generation is offer them an alternative to Christ. And it's called religion. Did you hear me? Powerless and deceptive. Religion. You can say that you love Jesus all day long. But this book tells me not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in. That's what it says. We're living in a day, folks, where we have a lot of powerless and deceptive religion. We... Let me just tell you what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. We read that when God came down, He found Adam and Eve in the garden. They were covered in fig leaves. You know why? This, that's what happens when darkness comes upon a society or a people or a church. They attempt in their own strength to cover their sin and shame. They attempt to cover it up. And we know that only God can forgive sin and only God can produce fruit from a life that is yielded to Him. I want you to know Jesus once walked up to a tree in Jerusalem. If you don't know this story, it was a fig tree and He saw this tree, but when He came up to it, He didn't find anything on it but leaves. There was no fruit on the tree. Are you with me? And so he cursed the fig tree and said, let nobody eat fruit from your tree ever again. And Jesus and his disciples, after Jesus said that, they entered back into Jerusalem the next day. I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 11, verses 21 through 23, what he said. And Peter, remembering what had happened with the fig tree, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith. In God. For assuredly, there we are again, confidently, without a doubt, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now listen, the only mountain in the whole vicinity was Jerusalem. You know what Jerusalem had done? Jerusalem had crafted what we're going to refer to this morning as the fig tree religion. The fig tree religion has not gone away. It's still around today. What is the fig tree religion? The fig tree religion is a self-made, man-made, 
uh, covering of human effort. It's a false relationship with, with God that, that calls itself a relationship with God, but it's a false relationship with God that offers no life, it bears no fruit, and it has no power. And while we tend to take these verses today and we use them for all kinds of things, Jesus was actually talking about casting away this false covering that the devil is offering humanity and assuring them that they are uh, back in right relationship with God when they are not. Did you hear me? Assuring them. You say, Pastor, every time you take the pulpit, seems like you're dogging another church. No, I'm not dogging another church. As a matter of fact, I got up at 5 a.m. this morning and I prayed for every pastor in this city, in this tri-county area, and I think I even mentioned the state of Kentucky. And I prayed and I said, God, I'm asking you to grant them all boldness and grace to stand in your pulpit today and preach life and truth. Why? Because there's a lot of people sitting in a lot of seats in a lot of churches today that have been convinced that they're in a right relationship with God because we've done nothing but take some fig leaves and cover up our sin and try to hide it. And we've become little gods and we've decided what's right and what's wrong with us and we don't know anymore what God says. But God's looking for somebody that'll preach life, that'll preach truth, that'll say without it, you cannot be set free but if we'll acknowledge that and we'll accept see you can't I've said it before I'm going to say it again you can't get people convicted anymore because people don't know the difference between conviction and offense when you preach where they're living they're offended well if I've preached where you're living you're not offended you're convicted if you're guilty And listen, you can like me or not like me, and I'm learning there's a lot of people don't like me. I mean, if people liked me, this church would probably run a thousand people. But for some reason, they don't like me, and then they get right back online and listen again. I'll never figure it out. They They just keep coming back for more. But can I tell you something? Church, it will not do us a bit of good to fill that brand new facility three times over if we're not taking one house full to heaven. Did you hear me? And whether you like me or don't like me, I did not write the book. I'm just preaching it. And if it falls your way where the tree falls, so shall it lie. If God said it was wrong, it's still wrong. You can't change his mind. You can't find you a church that says it's right and make it right. If God said it's wrong, it's still wrong. And the only remnant that's going to be left is the people that say, I will not bow, I will not bend, so that I do not burn. I'll stand on the word of God. And through prayer, you and I have the power to set free those who have settled for powerless religion. We can ask God to remove that deceptive covering and fill every church with life and with truth. I'll share this and I'm going to close. Another thing that happens when we pray is people are brought out of captivity. Many people desire to serve the Lord with all their heart, but they've been taken captive right in the church taken captive by some of the forces of this world. But in Acts chapter 12, the apostle Peter was put in prison and he was delivered over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. 
And King Herod intended to bring him out before the people after the Passover, which means that the authorities of that time were essentially bragging and boasting, and they were saying, we have the power to corral the church. We'll bring the Christians out before the people, and the people will judge those who claim that our religion is faulty and our society is off track. Isn't that the way it is today? That's what, the, that's what we want to do today. For some, some reason, some way, somehow, when somebody stands up for the Word of God, you're the one in the wrong. You're the hater. You're the bigot. You, you ain't got love. I've heard that before. I've been told that before. You need to learn to preach that in love. I am preaching it in love. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't waste my time being here. So when you see me up here, know it's because I love you. Don't take this the wrong way, but it's not because I love what I do. Lord, have mercy. Who wants to make people mad all the time? Who wants to step on people's toes? Who wants to try to herd the, the, the sheep and keep them in line so that they all go to heaven? Nobody, it'd be much easier for me to work that out by myself and let you do whatever you do. I do it because I love you. But because I love you does not mean I'm going to sugarcoat it and make you feel good about the fact that you're guilty. That's not love, that's deception. We don't know the difference between conviction and offense, and we don't know the difference between love and deception. What the problem with the world is today, with the church today is, we want to sin and be told it's okay and be made feel comfortable while we do it, and then we wonder why we don't have no power with God. I'm telling you, God's looking for a people that will sell out, that will say, God, here we are. Do what you will with us. I've got to do this quickly. Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was, what were they doing? Earnestly praying to God for him. And as those believers were in constant prayer, miracles began to happen. Pastor, why are you so passionate about us spending uh, an hour uh, in prayer once a week for the next four weeks? Because I, every time I read in this book, I find where believers gather together in constant prayer, miracles happen. Every time. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm more passionate about that than I am about any other service that we have. And it's not going to be a formal service. You won't find a formal praise team and praise and worship and a full band tomorrow night. You're going to find some time to get alone with God. That's what we're going to do. I'm more passionate about it than I am about what I'm doing this morning because I believe God's speaking to His people. That if we will pray, God will do something that will blow our minds right in our midst. Acts chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. He did something that blew their minds. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put your clothes and sandals on. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards. Remember, there was four, uh, four sections of guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked through the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. What happened there, Pastor? I'll tell you what happened. Captivity was taken captive while the people of God were praying. When Peter and the angel came to the city, that gate opened on its own 
own accord. It opened by itself. You know what that means? That's a picture of how nothing in our society can stop the hand of God. Did you hear me? They might can stop you. They might can stop me. But they cannot stop the hand of God. But the hand of God does not move till God's people pray. Oh, but when God's people come together in agreement, in a place of prayer, then when the hand of God begins to move, there's not a single thing the devil can do. There's not a gate strong enough. There's not a cord tight enough. There's not a chain long enough that can hold back the powerful hand of God. And then when Peter, I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying, when Peter knocked on the door where many were praying, the people were astonished. The people who were praying were amazed at what God had done. Acts chapter 12 verse 17. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Peter instructed them to tell the brethren the news. What was the news? The news was that captivity had been taken captive by the powerful hand of God through a praying church. Captivity had been taken captive by the powerful hand of God through a praying church. Now listen to me as they come to the music this morning. Had they not gathered to pray? Had they not gathered to pray? History would have been very different. Do you realize that? There would have been a story recorded in this book about Peter. But had the church not gathered to pray, that story would have been drastically different. That story might have been of how that Peter perished in prison. That story might have been of how Peter spent years in prison. But that's not the story. The story is because the people prayed. God set Peter free. What did Peter do? He went on to become one of the greatest preachers of all time probably second only to the Apostle Paul. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you don't know what's going to happen when we gather together to pray. There could be a young person. There could be a Billy Graham in this congregation that God raises up when His people begin to pray. There could be a Peter in this congregation or related to this congregation that right now is in prison. But when God's people pray, oh, I feel the Lord when I say that. When God's people pray and he gets loosed, he'll be one of the greatest men of God that we've ever known. Could be your children. Could be my children. Could be your grandchildren. We don't know. But if we'll get together and we'll pray, God will do the work. Because here's the deal. If we choose not to pray in this generation, if we choose not to pray in this generation, you can rest assured the future will look very different than what it could look like the people of God would pray. If you'll stand with me all over the house today. I believe that honestly that we have a very short window of mercy before us. The Lord is 
dealing with me about this. I'm serious about it. It's not just a series of messages. It's not even a series. I know they're all about prayer. But I believe God, I believe God is calling the, the whole church across this country to pray. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but several weeks ago I preached a sermon series here titled Table Talk. And it was about things around the Lord's table. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but all over social media I began to see other pastors in the area preaching series on the table. The Lord's been dealing with me about prayer. I got on social media about 5 o'clock this morning. God's dealing with other pastors about prayer. I believe God's calling churches all over this region to pray. After tomorrow night, the next Monday night, I hope we have people from all kinds of denominations and walks of life and other churches come join us for prayer. I believe God is calling the whole church to pray because here's the deal. If we don't take advantage of this moment, I truly believe this, folks. I believe there's a fearful darkness that awaits us on the other side of this short window of mercy. I believe that. But I also believe that although the enemy may be trying to bruise our heel, we are of that seed of Christ. And he's given us the ability to step on his head. We can cast down imaginations where he thinks he can control people in their minds, deceive them and destroy this whole generation. I fully believe that God's intention, if his people are willing, is to send another great awakening like we've never seen. We also got to remember that the true source of our power is prayer. For the church, it always has been. And it always will be. And when a church ceases to pray, we will cease to exist in power. I don't know about you. I want the power of God. I said I want the power of God. I want to see truly regenerate converts. I've got some people that I want to see delivered. I've got some people that I want to see their eyes opened. I believe a lot of you do too. If you're lost in this place today when they sing, I want to ask you to find your way to this altar and let us pray with you. I promise you, Jesus Christ will be the best decision that you'll ever make. But if you're in this house today and you know Jesus, I want to challenge you. I'm not going to do anything fancy. I'm going to go right back here and find myself a place of prayer. And I want as many that will, that are physically able, to come and find a place in this altar and on this front row and pray. And when it fills up, find a place at your seat. But kneel and pray if you're able. And can we do that this morning? Can we just talk to God and say, God, move in our midst.